0: This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. The North American International Auto Show opens its doors to journalists, industry watchers, and public figures. Today, it will open to the public on Saturday. This is our annual homage to the car, and to some extent, to ourselves, as the city that invented the car's mass production and still rides or dies with the car's fortunes or failures. But not everybody agrees that the car is so worth celebrating. My next guest says the way we use the automobile isn't just negative. He says it's completely insane. Edward Humes is a journalist and author of the book, Door to Door, The Magnificent, Maddening, Mysterious World of Transportation. He has a new book out this month called Burned, A Story of Murder and the Crime That Wasn't. Edward Humes, welcome to Detroit Today. I'm happy to be here. Yeah. I want to start by reading an excerpt uh, from an article you wrote in The Atlantic uh, that is an excerpt from your book, Door to Door. And you say, a big part of why cars and trucks have stuck around is that they are the epitome of convenience. That's the allure and the promise that's kept drivers hooked. Dating all the way back to the versatile, do-everything Ford Model T. Convenience, some might call it freedom, is not a selling point to be easily dismissed. This trusty conveyance, always there, always ready, on no schedule but its owners. Buses can't do that. Trains can't do that. Even Uber makes riders wait. But convenience, along with American history, cultural, rituals, and man-machine affection, hide the true cost and nature of cars. And what is that nature? Simply this, in almost every way imaginable, the car as it is deployed and used today is insane. Talk about why you think that's true.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's a funny (laughs) subject for today, with the launch of the uh, convention. But,
0: well,
2: you know, the price for that uh,
1: convenience is accepting vehicles that are really rolling disasters in terms of. Pretty much any category you want to talk about: economics, environment, energy efficiency, climate, health, and certainly safety. Um, uh, they are their, their negatives are almost invisible to us because we're just accustomed to them. But they're huge, <laughs> and it's a, it represents a the failure to acknowledge that cost is kind of a, a hidden subsidy that supports and props up the way we use our cars.
0: But again, you even in your excerpt there, you acknowledge the freedom. That we have with cars and i I mean and, and you acknowledge that it's not easily dismissible um, I, I think it is the the overriding reason that the car has enjoyed the popularity that it has and that it continues to this idea that I should be able to go where I want when I want. Uh, in something that i own uh, is mine and I don't have to rely on anyone else for uh, is that really is that really so insane
1: yeah it is because we're not actually paying the true cost for that convenience we're foisting that cost off onto taxpayers and society and our children's health and you name it. I mean, if we want that convenience, we actually ought to pay our own way to, to support it, but we don't. We, we have these massive subsidies uh, in the form of allowing us to use a technology that uh, is harming our environment, and harming our health, and wasting tremendous amounts of, of valuable public resources and, and our own futures.
0: So so, so what, what are, are the if
1: we want to make that choice, we should make it in an informed way and understand exactly what those costs are. I don't think most people
0: do. Yeah, so let's talk about what some of those subsidies look like, the the things that you think are preventing us from really bearing the full burden of our obsession with the automobile.
1: Okay, which one do you want to talk yeah,
0: about? Uh, yeah, yeah, go ahead and 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 list for the listeners here the things that you think are are making this too easy for us
1: sure okay well let's uh, let's talk about the the health costs first um there's There's a really good uh study out of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology that uh, tells us that fifty three thousand Americans die prematurely every year from vehicle pollution, not just from pollution in general but from what's coming out of our tailpipes um, and those those Men and women and children are losing about 10 years of life on average compared to what their lifespans would be in the absence of tailpipe emissions. Well, That's a lot of lost years and lost lives. And it's a cost that's not accounted for in the price of gasoline or the sticker on our cars. Um, there's the indirect health uh, and national security costs of protecting our energy supplies. Um, there's the the idea that our vehicles, again, as we use them now, they don't have to be this way, but this is how we use them, are our most underutilized asset. Morgan Stanley looked at this, the investment firm. You know, our cars, what, what is the, the default state of our car? It's sitting parked <laughs> and doing nothing 92% of the time. So we have this, this asset that's the second most costly asset most American families will possess after. Uh, after their homes, after where they live, uh, and it is basically idle most of the time. Uh, that's that's a, a very expensive doodad to have parked in the driveway. It is. Uh, the curb. And that is, again, at that price of convenience. The, the part that's most troubling, I think, is, is the cost of um, car crashes and the lack of safety. Um, you know, we freak out. And justifiably so, when an airliner crashes. But the carnage on our streets and highways is the equivalent to having four fully packed airliners crash every week, which we would never tolerate. We, you know, the industry would be ripped apart and put back together in a safer way. The airline industry, if we had that level of death and destruction that we experience almost without comment every day, with Uh, On
0: deals. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, uh, I guess what I'm really wondering then is uh, what the alternate uh, American life in your in your view would look like. Would it would it uh, would it scale back the use of cars to the extent that our our lives would look very different? I mean, if you think of of the way in which people are able to live in one place and work in another. Uh, the way in which people are able to get to see each other frequently across great distances because of cars. Um, what, what would be what would the effect be if we did this differently on the way we live?
1: It depends on what direction we want to take. The first the first step is to sort of unleash our imaginations and to think about what we love most about our cars what's most useful and then figure out how to make it better and this is a, a technology that is remarkably unchanged uh since its invention i mean we're not still running our electronics with vacuum tubes uh we're not uh you know we don't have uh, we don't long for a pre-smartphone age but we still have the, this this automotive technology that has had a lot of you know, superficial changes bolted on top of it is There's essentially the same humans driving, uh, you know, internal combustion engine-driven machines that are not built for specific purposes but are sort of jack-of-all-trades vehicles. We buy these vehicles that can carry six passengers and eight suitcases and go um, 300 miles without, or more, without refueling a, for a use case that we almost never use. Our cars are primarily used to move one person for short distances, uh, um, uh, you know, a couple times a day. Mm-hmm. And all that extra capacity is waste. Uh, so imagine perhaps a world where we do have a shared vehicle system instead of privately owned vehicles as like the dominant form. Then we get the vehicle we need for that particular trip every day, and you know. It arrives at a curb and we <laughs> drive off on it. Uh, exactly the vehicle we need to go on a camping trip or a commute or, or whatever. If you want it, it doesn't take uh, a lot of brain power to figure out that would save us immense amounts of money and energy and fuel and would be potentially much more efficient. Mm. Uh, this is the uh, imagine okay, let's talk about a let's talk about a, a possible future of driverless vehicles where n- over ninety percent of the vehicle crashes we experience today and virtually all automotive deaths just go away because humans are crappy drivers and we pretend we're not but we're terrible which is why someone goes to the emergency room in the u.s every 12 seconds because of a car crash
0: this is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Edward Humes. He's a journalist and author of the book Door to Door, The Magnificent, Maddening, Mysterious World of Transportation. His argument, in part at least, is that the way we deal with cars, the way we use cars in our lives as Americans, is insane. The dominance that we allow cars to have over our lives, over our way of getting around doesn't make much sense. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Have you ever had a moment where you thought to yourself that the way you use your car or truck was Destructive or even insane? Do you defend our collective obsession with automobiles, which is very much on display over the next few weeks as the North American International Auto Show takes place here in Detroit? If so, why? And do you realistically think you could ever change your driving habits? Would you be open to the idea that maybe you don't need a car of your own in your own garage, that uh, maybe more of Our transportation around the world could be shared, and some of the costs then, the social costs, the environmental costs, the health costs of cars, could be reduced if we would just indulge some different habits. As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. Call and tell us, would you be willing to give up your car and approach transportation in a really different way? We're going to start with Arnold in East Point. Arnold, welcome to Detroit Today.
3: Yes, uh, interesting topic. Um, As someone who grew up on the east side of Detroit when we had great uh, mass transportation in the 1960s, my family did not have a car. We had to go everywhere by bus. In fact, I went to... Castec Tech High School in downtown Detroit from the east side, Six Mile and Gratiot, using the uh, public transportation bus system. You know, (laughs) twice a day day there. The thing is, mass transit is also inefficient and very expensive. In Metro Detroit, the subsidy, if you commute every day back and forth to work per commuter, the subsidy is between $400 and $1,000 per commuter which comes comes down to about uh, $10,000 a year per mass transportation commuter of a subsidy. And that subsidy comes from gasoline taxes. A portion of our gasoline taxes pays to subsidize mass transit. And, 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 And it goes even further. In Europe, where they have what everyone says is a great mass transit system, it is hugely subsidized by huge gasoline taxes to where gasoline in Europe, costs about eight bucks a gallon. So there is no free lunch. There's a thing called the fair box recovery ratio. In New York City, the fair box recovery ratio is between 45, it's right around 45%, which means the 55% of the cost must be borne by somebody else. And and those costs are borne by the people who buy gasoline for their personal automobiles. People want door-to-door service. With self-driving cars that I worked on for General Motors at our research and development labs, that is coming. In other words, we're going to have semi-private transportation. Cars will be stationed within a subdivision that are are self-driving. They will come pick you up at your door. They will drive you to your destination and (laughs) go pick up another driver while you're at work, another rider while you're at work, Hmm. and and uh, and pick you up when you're ready to come home and take you door so, to door.
0: So, Arnold, essentially what you're saying is that the mass transit that we're all so accustomed to is also inefe- ineffective and inefficient, and that what we're going to move to is is a kind of shared transportation that will make things easier for everyone. I actually think that's kind of what Edward Humes is arguing for. Edward Humes, am I, am I right there?
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to sing the praises of a lot of their current mass transit systems. As, as cars, uh, uh just pointed out, they're expensive and, and they don't always work the way we would like them to work. So, yeah, this idea of moving from privately owned uh um, vehicles driving around with one person in them during rush hour and then creating traffic issues and environmental issues and cost issues, be, replacing that with a more efficient system that requires far fewer vehicles where they're actually being used, utilized um, most of, most hours of the day rather than sitting parked. Uh, that's, that's one potential vision for how cars could work better because then they become a, a hybrid of individual and mass transit. So, yeah, the, 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 one of the coolest things about autonomous vehicles, beyond this, this potential safety uh, aspects, uh, is the fact that we don't have to dedicate so much of our time, energy, and space in our, in our cities to parking anymore. The car doesn't need to park; it just drops off its, its occupant and, and goes get, gets the next passenger to pick up, or returns to refuel or service, but. Um, this bane of our existence in, in our cities of trying to find places to park. And it, the search for parking contributes to something like 30% of urban urban traffic congestion uh, in the U.S. Uh, that just goes away. We reclaim that space in our cities and use it for more productive purposes than uh, than parking our cars. And, and it almost boggles the mind to think of what we could do with that freeing of resources and and the fact that uh, a a landscape a driving landscape that's dominated by autonomous vehicles is one where uh, the cars can can drive more efficiently with less space between the vehicles traffic flows change Um, (laughs) the idea of of, uh, Just being able to step out at your destination uh, and, and be where you want to be without having to park your car and hike without whatever the distance is from the parking space to your destination. When I mean, you talk about you want freedom and convenience. Uh, it's pretty hard to beat that vision yeah. compared to what we have now. Uh,
0: thanks very much, Arnold, for the call and the comments. Let's go to Selena in Detroit. Selena, what's on your mind?
4: Hi, thanks for having me. So mm-hmm. I just wanted to make a question about my experience. I actually tried, and I did get rid of my car for a full year, and after a year of, you know, walking, biking, Ubering, lifting, I ended up having to get a car again just because of the inconvenience and not having mass transit in the city. Um, I was spending more than I would spend on a car in, like, Ubers just to get from places to home, to work, to go to the grocery store, since there aren't a ton of options in Detroit. And I ended up just getting a car again just because I felt like trapped in my house with not having one.
0: <laughs> and so what what you went back then to the car after after this experiment?
4: Yeah, I didn't want to, but I felt like it was like my only option to be able to like get around without spending upwards of you know 4050 dollars on a lift ride <laughs> to get to the mall or the grocery store. Um, and just have that freedom of being able to get up and go whenever I wanted. I could definitely get around. Detroit really easily. I rode my bike a lot and commuted to work on my bike but being able to like go to a friend's house or go out or do anything I felt very trapped because I'm like oh do I want to spend the $40 on an Uber is it really worth it and I was like just kind of like going like getting claustrophobic in my house so I ended up going back to the car.
0: Yeah. Uh, Selena I appreciate the call and the comments. Uh, Edward Humes uh, one of the things that jumps out to me about what she's saying is How unprepared we are in cities like Detroit for the alternatives that you are in favor of. This idea that we could do it differently really is dependent on more than one person deciding to give up their vehicle and do something different. It really has to become a cultural imperative and it has to shape the way that we make decisions as communities and as cities. Uh, And that's not happening right now.
1: Oh well, I, well, I agree with everything you just said, and, and also I, I think it's wonderful that Selena made this this experiment to see if she really could uh, de-emphasize a car in her life, and, and so that enables her to make an informed decision. No, I I, I need a car. I i bet that she does uh, has a more hybrid transportation existence than she did in the past, where sometimes she doesn't need that car as much as she did. Um I think these kinds of changes are happening in different communities. You know, we have had 60 years of designing our landscapes of, to to advantage cars uh instead of pedestrians or bikes or whatever, you know, you know, street cars from, you know, the first part of the 20th century were advantaged. Uh we make these choices and then we design our our lands, our built landscapes, accordingly. So that changing that in any significant way is going to take uh, desire and, and a lot of time because we plan our transportation thirty years and more out. Uh, but there's, there's there's massive opportunity right away to 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 make some incremental changes in how we go from door to door uh, in our daily <laughs> lives. I looked at what the average trip in Los Angeles is, and 50% of our car trips in, Los, in the Los Angeles area, and this is mirrored in other cities, are three miles or less. Um, there, there's, there's trips that we used to um, not drive to do, like walk to school, Um in the 60s, 50% of our school kids walked to school, and now it's something like 13%. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, why, why has that changed? Uh, is it because we don't have the time? Is it because the landscape has become less unfriendly for, or less safe for walking? Um, looking, at that, that, looking at it that way and saying, well, are we just driving more than we really need to? Would it be better for us in terms of health and efficiency and cost savings and, and even getting there faster if we didn't drive so much? Um, I think every community finds its own answer to that, but uh, it's something worth thinking about. That we've had this transformation without realizing it into a, a place where we get in the car just to take a, a, you know, go a few blocks rather than to get there by some other means. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that's the way the world is going to be from now on. But it's, we haven't made that decision in a very conscious and thoughtful way. It's just kind of evolved over time. And some communities are looking at it differently. Other communities are advantaging different forms of transportation. I've been spending a lot of time splitting my time between California and Seattle. Uh, if you want to go to downtown Seattle, uh, you get there faster if you take mass transit because they have rapid bus lines with dedicated lanes and you zip by. <laughs> There's no better feeling than zipping by people stuck in traffic when you're on a uh, on the bus, and then you get off right where you want to be without having to park. It's it's a I mean, there are ways to make alternatives work better and to advantage them if that's what we want to do in a community.
0: we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation about cars and our use of cars, whether we can rethink that, and whether what we're doing now, our strong dependency on cars, is, in fact, insane. Stay with us, and stay with us on the phones. 313-577-1019 is the number. Uh, You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Go to Twitter, hashtag Detroit today. Tom and Gene in Detroit, we'll get to you next, and uh, we'll see who else wants to chime In on this conversation. This is Detroit Today. We'll be right back in a few minutes. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Steven Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. My guest. Is Edward Humes, he's a journalist and author of the book, Door to Door, The Magnificent, Maddening, Mysterious World of Transportation. Uh, We are talking about our use of automobiles. He had an article in The Atlantic published that talks about the absurd primacy of the automobile in American life. The idea that we are so dependent on cars that we own ourselves and uh, that's how we get around. Uh, Is there a better way? to think about that. Is there a better way to design cities, to design our lives so that we're not so dependent on these cars, which of course are very inefficient, are quite bad for the environment, and are also dangers to our health. If you think about the number of people killed each year, each week even, in auto accidents. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us, have you ever had a moment where you thought to yourself, the way you use your car was destructive Or insane. And what are you doing about that? What are you trying to do differently? And how successful are you at it, especially here in Southeast Michigan, where, of course, we are very, very, very dependent on the car and very happy about that dependence. We celebrate that dependence each year during the North American International Auto Show, which opens This Saturday, this week, of course, is Media and Industry Preview. Uh, You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll try to work you into the conversation. And as always, the numbers here in the studio is 313-577-1019. Let's go to Gene in Detroit. Gene, welcome to Detroit Today.
5: Uh, Good morning, Stephen. Hey, Gene. Uh, Your guest is uh, eminently correct in uh, all the things that – He's been illuminating, but three things uh, seem to stand out right away in what's about to happen with uh, automobile production, which of course is a, of the last vestige of the horse and buggy era. One is that the styling of, of the car is going to go all internal, uh, everything for uh, convenience, internet connection, etc. Two. There are going to be far fewer people worldwide involved in car production and even in car operations, uh, and we're not prepared for that at all. And three, our whole model of economic development, particularly in cities like Detroit, uh, are almost a half a century old, and we're going to have to revise those very quickly, otherwise we're headed for... More bankruptcy.
0: Hmm. Uh, Gene, I really appreciate the call and the thoughts there. Edward Humes, uh, respond to those predictions uh, about the future of the automobile.
1: Uh, well, I think change is inevitable. It's it's going to not be overnight for sure, and and that will it will change the automotive industry and the transportation industry, but it will create opportunities as well as as. Uh, and old, you know, new new avenues of investment and modes of travel will open up to replace what we have now. That's inevitable. I mean, that happens in every industry. It's happened in transportation in the past. Um, the transition from the horse and buggy economy <laughs> that uh, Paul just mentioned to the, um, you know, the mode of economy we have now in terms of, of the dominant mode of transportation. And you know, we don't think about that, but that was huge and wrenching and cost millions of jobs and wildlife has changed and the streetscape changed and sooner or later that's going to happen again that's that's the way of the world that's almost uh, to be expected and and ultimately desired i think i mean we want better ways to get around we all want that uh, yeah uh, again but, but it's going to be wrenching and it's going to change <laughs> i i want to get back to what you mentioned can we talk about the safety aspect of this too sure. the lives lost um, we were talking about, right now, um, a, a car reality in which there's a death every 15 minutes in the U.S., um, a trip to the emergency room every 12 seconds, and and, and some, someone who requires medical treatment every seven seconds because of a car crash. And um, three causes of those, all of them are human, human failings. It's not... Um, a technology techno- technological problems, the fact that they're either uh, driving intoxicated, or we're driving too fast.
0: It's human
1: error, uh, or, or we're driving too distracted. I and mean, those you know, there's ninety percent of the of the carnage right there um, because we're terrible drivers. <laughs> human beings are not built to do what we're requiring ourselves to do. Um, on our highways and streets. And why is it that we have cars that can speed? I mean, our, we have technology that knows where our vehicles are and what the speed limit is in those locations. Uh, it would be almost inconsequential to build cars that can't speed, but we don't do that. We have sensors that can sense, uh, and these have been tested, the blood alcohol of the driver just by them touching a the steering wheel. Um, it would, it <laughs> highly adaptable technology that you know, could prevent drunken driving, mm. and of course, we have means to prevent distraction. And cell i mean, our cell phone, I mean if anybody has a traffic app. They know the cell phone. And say, hey, looks like you're driving now and looking at this phone. What's wrong with you? <laughs> you could just as easily have a car smart enough not to let you do that. Mm. We could incorporate technology that would eliminate, go a long way to eliminating some of our safety issues, and yet we don't do it. Um, And that's part of the freedom and convenience, apparently, that we treasure, too, the ability to kill ourselves in our vehicles and to kill other people. Uh, I would argue that that should change.
0: Uh, again, Gene, thanks for the call and the comments. Let's go to Tom in Detroit. Tom, welcome to Detroit Today.
2: Yeah, good morning to both of you. You know, I like my car. (laughs) I like the fact that I can, you know, hit my remote, start it it up and let it warm up, and I can walk out and get in and go where I want to go. Because, I mean, obviously bringing it home specifically, rapid transit in Detroit and even this uh, metropolitan area, I mean, there are too many people who are opposed to it. So for me to be able to, regardless if I have to find, look for somewhere to park, for me to get in my car, travel, whatever, how far I want to go to, it's a convenience rather than sitting around waiting for an Uber to come or, as the gentleman, Mr. Humes, said earlier, you know, some car from some place will roll up and, you know, pick you up and, you know, take you. No, 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 no. I want to do my driving myself. And one more time before I go, I'm going to keep my hand on the wheel and my feet on the accelerator and the brake because <laughs> I mean technology is wonderful as it is man made that technology
0: So you're and really I, doubling down on the on the status quo and, and not really moving even in the direction that uh, uh that that the industry is moving Tom I I appreciate the call and the the sort of bold stance I don't imagine that uh, our guest today would uh, would agree with that uh, for a number of reasons, the health reasons obviously uh, being, being first and, uh, and foremost there. But uh, I do appreciate the call and the comments. Let's go to Annie in Beverly Hills. Annie, welcome to Detroit today.
6: Well, thank you. Good morning. Um, I, the, the, this last caller was very interesting and is uh, representative of my point. Um, I think that we cannot change as a society – because we are so romantically attached to our vehicles. Why do we build cars that speed so fast? Why do we build cars that have sexy lines and revving engines? Because it's it's, it's who who we want to be. We align who we are with the vehicle that we drive. And unfortunately, as a society, we have become far too selfish to think (laughs) about the consequences of uh changing the technology for the for the benefit and the good of all
0: mm-hmm. uh, so Annie I wonder given your your stance on this what you make of this week coming up uh, and where the whole world really comes to Detroit uh, to see the next the next big thing in autos and then the show opens to the public and we have hundreds of thousands of people who come to celebrate well, and, I'm one the of, car.
6: and I'm certainly one of the ones that would attend that because I live in the Detroit area <laughs> and have been going for years every year, but I long for the, um, the changes that your guest is talking about. The, 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 the ideas that are outside of the box that are really going to open up opportunities, um, and, and, uh, the technologies that will be shared use vehicles. Um, it um, it can be both. I
0: think, hmm. uh, Annie. I really appreciate the call and the the sort of honest take that you have on this this split mind that I think you have to to indulge here. If you live here in Southeast Michigan about the car, the way it dominates down, the way it might change in the future, uh, Edward Humes. I will uh, give you the last word on this subject.
1: Well, I, I actually, I think those both those calls together really say at all because we we are attached to our, our our cars and and the way they work for us and that convenience can't can't be beat so i understand tom's <laughs> point entirely and think of all the rituals in our daily lives from from birth to, to marriage to death they revolve around our cars uh and and you know it's a rite of passage to get our driver's licenses and, uh, <laughs> it's very hard to imagine a reality where that changes, and yet I, I, you know, I think a lot of people are longing for for that change, where we can have the best of both worlds. And that is one. T- I mean, we, I think we're at, the, at a fork in the road, so to speak, where we're going to choose between: are we going to go for that best of both worlds, or are we going to stay in a world where we kind of have the worst of? <laughs> of the sort of new technology, and yet we're still stuck in traffic every day, and we're still polluting our environments and we're still killing one another. The warming rates, and there, we have to, we have to make a balance between those two poles. And I, I'm kind of optimistic that that is, after a lot of angst and, and effort, <laughs> that uh, we're going to get there.
0: Okay, Edward Humes, journalist and author, author of the book Door to Door, The Magnificent, Maddening, Mysterious World of Transportation. It was really great to have you with us on Detroit Today. It's
1: been my pleasure. Thank you so much.
0: Up next, we're going to talk about the future of automobiles a little more and how it might change our behavior with futurist Amy Webb. Also, don't forget, if you have to miss any of today's show, you don't have to miss out on the conversation. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download podcasts, download and subscribe to Detroit Today to Take us with you and listen when you are ready. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Cars and trucks are changing mostly due to technology. And we're changing in the way that we use that technology and what we expect from our cars. But is our behavior changing the technology, or is it the other way around? Or is it both? And will the change in our cars and in us be inherently for the good? Or should we be worried about where the future is headed? Our next guest is a quantitative futurist and founder of the Future Today Institute. Amy Webb is a professor at the NYU Stern School of Business, and her new book, The Big Nine, How the Tech Titans and Their Thinking Machines Could Warp Humanity, comes out March 5th and is available for pre-order now. Amy Webb, welcome to Detroit Today.
7: Thanks
0: for having me. Yeah. So uh, in our last segment, we were talking about the ways in which we are so dependent on the automobile now. And my guest said that that was insane and that we really do need to change uh, that paradigm very quickly. Uh, at the same time, the future of cars, I think, sees us indulging them a little more and in different ways and for different reasons. Can you talk about how you see cars and trucks changing in the future and how they may change us in the future?
7: Sure. So, you know, as a futurist, a lot of, a lot of people think that most of what I do is only look ahead. Um, <laughs> and people who do this professionally look backwards as much as we do look forward. So with that in mind, um, if you go back, you know, over 100 years, we had the uh, advent of something called the omnibus, which was a precursor to a lot of the public transit that we have today. And it was also uh, available before um, cars were made affordable so that everybody could drive them. And if you go back to that time, a lot of people were asking that exact same question. What does the advent of this transportation that's suddenly available to everybody mean about the future of behavior and and how society works? Um, So here we are 100 years later, and we're on the precipice of uh, autonomous vehicles, That are able to drive themselves uh, in different ways and that can uh, help us move around as much as we need. Um, And so, you know, if you stop and think about what that means, not just for our human behavior, but the way that we've formed our economies and how everything else works, um, you know, that means that we're probably looking for some serious changes ahead uh, from what the financial systems look like that support the vehicles that we currently own uh, to, you know, the businesses uh, and all of the supporting infrastructure um, that currently supports our, our existing model. We're probably looking at the end of us owning vehicles, and instead, companies like Ford uh, having transportation as a service models. So that shifts quite a bit what it what we think of when we think about owning our cars and all of the things that go along with that. Um, you know, to what the uh, the ecosystem looks like. So we probably won't need gas stations. Um, So what happens to all of that real estate going forward? And, you know, also what does that mean about, as Americans, the the great road trips that we've always taken? You know, how does that start to change? So there's a lot to be thinking about.
0: Uh, uh, Is it that changes in our behavior are changing uh, cars and trucks, or is it the reverse, or is it both? Which which is in the, yeah. not to, to sort of play on the words here, but which is in the driver's seat here? <laughs>
7: <laughs> it's a really good question. And I think at this point, it's probably a little difficult to untangle how we got to now. Um, one of the forces that's pushing ahead autonomous driving is that, um, you know, many, many, many people, millions of people get killed or injured in auto accidents every year. And that is increasing um, because we're doing many more things than we ought to be when we're driving. And why? It's because driving has gotten really easy. So it's, you, know, you don't have to um, move. You know, most people aren't driving stick shifts. That would make it difficult to send a text uh, message you know, while you're driving. Hmm. So to some extent, you could say uh, it's, it's the fact that cars have gotten easier to drive um, and all the pro- proliferation of all of this new technology, which has shifted our behavior in the car, Uh, which has caused more accidents, which is helping drive autonomous um, vehicle adoption and all of those different features. So that's one possibility. Um, On the other hand, you could say that we're living different types of lives now and um, seeing driving more as a basic utility that we subscribe to or have access to fits our more modern lifestyle. Um, So they sort of go hand in
0: hand. Um, Are these changes making us better? Is all of this technology and the merging of technology and transportation making us uh, uh, more efficient, uh, smarter? Is it, It is certainly making us safer. I think everybody agrees on that. But are these changes we should be wrapping our arms around and embracing? Or are these changes that we should have a little bit of trepidation about?
7: Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, And and the reason that it's a good question to be thinking about within the realm of transportation is because you could ask that same exact question of many other technologies, whether it's genetic engineering or artificial intelligence or or any other. Um, So we should always monitor change and ask, well, what does this mean? With an open mind to the extent that we can. And I know uh, I'm from the Midwest originally. I, I know... The, some of the sentiment now in Detroit. On the one hand, it's you're pretty excited because there are all these new features coming out, really cool new uh, prototypes and concept cars. On the other hand, um, the advent of uh, increased level two functionality for the autonomous driving component, as it as it moves up to level five eventually, is probably going to mean that. that that the whole industry and the whole landscape looks quite different than it does today. And it's not going to happen overnight, but it is probably going to happen. So the people who work in the auto industry, the auto manufacturers themselves, would be wise right now to start thinking through those implications and to work backward, back to now, uh, to figure out how can we make the best possible decisions given what we know to be true today. Hmm.
0: And this is Detroit today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson and my guest is Amy Webb. She is a quantitative futurist and a professor at the NYU Stern School of Business. Her new book, The Big Nine: How the Tech Titans and Their Thinking Machines Could Warp Humanity, comes out March 5th and is available now. For pre-order, we're talking about the future of cars, the future of transportation, all of the technology that is coming to bear on the way that we interact with our cars and how that's not only changing transportation, it's changing us. It's making us into different people than we are now. Is that a good thing or is that something we should be fearful about? If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us how you are seeing the tremendous changes in technology in our cars. Is it something that you demand now in vehicles that you buy? And what are the things about that technology that appeal to you? Or are you somebody who is just a little nervous about the technology that's uh, taking over the automobile, especially self driving cars? Are you nervous about the idea of the computer taking over instead of humans? As always, The number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Uh, Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. uh, And uh, we will try to work you into the conversation. Uh, Anthony on Facebook says, the automobile industry has created an oligopoly for oil and rubber and gas and steel. The owners of all the major commodities in the auto industry have entrenched the status quo of combustion engines, polluting our environment, traffic, congestion, stress, and frustration and deaths from vehicle collisions. It is insane. Uh, also, Jeff on Twitter says, I think Elon Musk agrees with uh, Edward Humes, who was our guest earlier, that internal combustion engine cars in the status quo is insane. And if you've been paying attention, it's pretty obvious the internal combustion engine will be gone in cars within the next 10 years. Uh, Amy, I want to talk to you a little about being a Detroiter uh, and, and the the genius of the internal combustion engine and all the great things sure. that it brought us here. This is the week that we start really celebrating that. We do that every year at the North American International Auto Show. Is that a sign of the past trying to sort of cling to the future, this, this celebration we have of all things auto? Uh, or is that something that also will find new footing in, uh, in our transportation future?
7: Well, I mean, I think it's important to note that, that uh, new energy vehicles or NEVs are also a part of that show. So it's not just, yes. internal, you know, but, but, here, but, but um, one of those Facebook commenters made, sort of said something that I think is pretty interesting with regards to oligarchies and, and, uh, and oil. You know, what a lot of people don't realize is that China currently is buying uh, the lion's share of electric vehicles that are, that are sold in the world every year. Um, as of April 8, 2018, uh, last year, China had bought 35 percent a third of all of the vehicles sold in the entire world. Now, yes, China has a larger population than most other countries. Um, but, but, but that number is interesting, because if you stop and think about it, what are all of the other things that have to go along with it? And this is where um, thinking like a futurist, I think, is pretty useful, because China is not only purchasing the, the lion's share of EVs. They're also inventing uh, new types of um, long distance uh, energy transfer. Um, they are leading the way in some new green technologies and in environmental stewardship. So if you start connecting all of these dots, um, you everybody who's interested in cars should be paying very, very close attention to China.
5: Hmm.
7: Uh, and, and, you know, that may seem counterintuitive because China isn't necessarily, um, you know, manufacturing the, the Lambos and the Porsches, you know, <laughs> uh, and not just supercars, but, you know, the, the sort of trusty Ford tourist type of cars that they get exported around the world. Um, so, so we don't tend to think of China as a leading automotive uh, country. And yet, because of some tax incentives and some uh, sort of state-sponsored initiatives. China, in its own way, is very much dictating what the future of driving looks like around the world.
0: Wow, wow! I don't know that most people here in Detroit necessarily think of it that way. I know <laughs> but right? that's a really great um, observation.
7: Yeah, but but this is why, and I'm I'm kind of a car nut myself, um, so I I get the desire to to look at other places um, to see what the latest and greatest. Uh, models are and some of the new innovations and dashboard technology and all those other things. But the whole entire ecosystem, I would argue, is very much being shaped by China. So if you're interested in cars and you live in Detroit, uh, you would do yourself well to look across the sea to see what's happening in China.
0: Uh, Let's go to the phones here. Uh, Greg and Novi, i have got about two and a half minutes left, but uh, what's on your mind? um just a quick
3: question uh coming from a law enforcement background and law enforcement family uh what kind of the implications the fact that you can now get into a car and the car is going to scan will have the ability to say scan you it knows who you are let's say for example you have somebody that has a warrant that steps into the car is it then up to the car companies then to deliver that person to law enforcement Mm -hmm. because as it currently stands now you have law enforcement they they run somebody's plate and they find out that person has a warrant, they pull them over, and then they have to take them on to a stop. If you've got people that are now using uh, one car that now drives for the entire neighborhood, <laughs> they scan the person, they get who it is, you're never going to know who's in that car. If they have something from that type of perspective, uh, whose burden then does it lie to try to catch these people? Yeah, uh,
0: that's a great question, Greg. Uh, Amy Webb, that's one of the – I feel like it's it, there are a million little things – about the the way auto and transportation is headed that have to be worked out right there are a million little things that we have to think about that aren't about cars but are about culture and i think uh greg's example is uh is one of those
7: yeah that's a terrific question and the answer the short answer is we don't have an answer to that question um but what i'm so pleased uh, about and hearing the question is that somebody in law law enforcement is thinking seriously, critically about the future. Sure. We need everybody in law enforcement to do to do the exact same thing. That was an incredibly smart question that your guest just asked. Uh, and if we have a critical mass of people asking those questions now, even though we don't have answers to them, it's going to set us up much better for the future. Yeah.
0: Um, so, Amy Webb, are you a a fan of the auto show? Do you come to Detroit ever to see our? <laughs> uh,
7: So the answer to that question is, of course, I'm a fan. I used to go as a kid. Um, uh, I'm a huge fan, but it coincides with another uh, conference that I have to be at. So unfortunately, I haven't been able to go the past few years. So
0: you won't be joining us. (laughs) That's right. Well, I'm very glad that you were able to join us here uh, on Detroit Today. Thanks very much for the conversation. Thank you so much. Okay, that is going to do it for us today. Remember, if you had to miss any of today's show, you definitely don't have to miss out on the conversation. You can hear this show and all other past editions of Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. Download and subscribe it on iTunes or wherever podcasts are available. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station and community service of Wayne State University. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will too. I'll see you then.